0: I think our, our audience this morning can safely be divided into two different groups of people, and that is people who have seen the new Avengers movie and those who have not. And so I promise I will give no spoilers in the sermon today um, if you haven't seen it. So don't worry. Let me, uh, let me paint a picture for you. You live in Colorado and your family lives in Tennessee or wherever they happen to live and you haven't spoken to them in about a week, and so you pull out your iPhone XS Max with a six-element, 12-megapixel, wide-angle sensor camera lens that shoots video in 1080p with video stabilization to FaceTime them, right? Your mom answers, and you can see with vivid clarity every detail on her face. And you realize that she can see you in the same clarity as well. And so you begin to feel a little self-conscious. And you chat about, you know, what's going on in your lives. And you can hear each other's voices with so much sharpness that it feels as if you're almost in the same room together. You know, you chat for about 30 minutes over FaceTime. You hang up and you realize that your battery life is still at 92%. Okay, maybe not everybody's phone has a battery life that's quite that good, but you kind of get the point, right? This thin little box that we keep in our pockets most of the time, they can do some really incredible things. Let me paint another picture for you. You live in Colorado. You wake up and you get in your gasoline-powered car early in the morning and you begin driving. You fly by other people and their gasoline-powered cars, all going on their individual daily little journeys. Miles go by in minutes and you finally arrive at this massive complex where they have these incredible machines that literally fly through the sky, right? We call these things planes. And so you wake up in Colorado Springs and before you know it, you're having lunch on the Santa Monica Pier in California. You woke up in one place and you're having lunch in another place by just a couple hours. There are so many amazing inventions that we have that allow us to have more freedom than we've ever known in our lives up to this point in human history. So let me paint one last picture for you. You live in Colorado, your college roommate lives in Tennessee, you haven't spoken to them in Uh, Several months, you haven't texted, you haven't called, any of those kinds of things, and yet you know every single thing that's going on in their life. You know, your college roommate and his wife bought a house a few years ago. You know that they are expecting a child. You know that he's just started a new job. He's still really into this thing called the green egg grill that he bought. Uh, You know, all these different things about your friend's life that you haven't spoken to in months. So how in the world is that possible? Because we follow each other on social media, right? You know that his life has changed, but yet you still feel like you could pick up your friendship just like it was, uh, just like it was yesterday, like nothing had ever happened. What a cool invention in that regard that social media can be. Even though you're halfway across the country, you can keep relationships alive and you can know what? friends are up to. We live in the most technologically advanced society in the history of the human race. We are literally living what was science fiction for most people just a couple generations ago. We can video chat with people no matter where they are. We can fly to go see them in just a couple of hours. And we can stay updated on what is going on in their lives through hundreds of online mediums. There are more ways to connect with people now than there ever has been in the history of the entire world. And yet, all that being true, we are the loneliest generation of people that has ever lived. We have all this amazing technology right at our fingertips. We have all of these material possessions, all this stuff that promises to make our lives easier, and yet, we are the most depressed, anxious, loneliest, overworked generation ever. So how in the world can this be? Psalm 139 verses one through 12, they say this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hit me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. <clears throat> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for the darkness is as light to you. So here's the deal with loneliness in our country. 46% of people, nearly half, 46% of Americans say that they sometimes or always feel alone. 46%. One in five Americans say they rarely or never feel close to anyone. The most common Response, not the average, but the single most common response to the question of how many close friends do you have in our country today? Is zero. It's zero. In the 1970s, the most common response was five. And today, it's zero. According to the Surgeon General, the increased mortality rate from loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day which is even greater than the mortality associated with obesity. Youth and young adults have the highest rates of loneliness of any group of people. And finally, social media use correlates with loneliness. It doesn't necessarily cause it, but the more social media you use, the greater your likelihood of loneliness, depression, and anxiety. The UK government has even developed a minister of loneliness. That's how common of an experience this is, there is now a government-appointed official who has been tasked with tackling the problem of loneliness in the UK. So what is going on in the world, right? Like, why is this happening? Did technology do this to us? Did businesses do this to us? Did advertising do this to us? Did social media do this to us? Well, maybe in a sense, but I think that Perhaps those questions are a little too simplistic for such a complex situation. It's not as simple as blaming it on one entity or one group of entities. But the reality is that we're losing, and in some cases, we've completely lost what makes us human. We've forgotten that we need genuine connection with other human beings. We actually need it. It's not just something that's nice to have. It's not just something that we can— experienced virtually, in order to have a genuine connection with another person, we've got to be with them. We have to touch them, see them, actually occupy space with them. Human beings were made to be seen and to be known. We have physical needs, like we are all aware of that, but far too often we forget that we have psychological needs that are just as vital as the physical needs that we have in our life. And so this is what we're talking about this morning, the cure for loneliness. Now, from the get-go, I I don't want anyone to misunderstand what my goal is for us as we kind of discuss some of these things this morning. My goal is not to say that if you feel lonely, there is something terribly wrong with you. The last thing a lonely person needs is for a person on a stage to tell them how wrong they are thereby making them feel more lonely and more isolated, right? So that's not my goal. It's also not my goal to say that the Bible will just fix any mental health issue that you have. Like, there's not some scripture that you can memorize that will cure the feeling of being isolated and alone. Does the gospel have, have something to say about mental health? You better believe it. But the answer it gives is not that if you just had more faith, if you just memorized more scripture, if you just loved God more, then you wouldn't have to take medication. That is not good news for anyone who suffers with mental health. And that is not the gospel. And so that's not my goal either. My goal for us this morning is to realize that no matter what happens in our life, no matter how low we get, no matter how much We might be suffering from loneliness or depression or anxiety. God is there with us right in the middle of all that we feel. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. God does not make us get on his level in order to feel his presence. God comes to us. God gets on our level. That's been the entire story of Scripture. So realize that no matter what you're experiencing, No matter how low you feel, God is right there. He isn't waiting for you to clean yourself up to make yourself presentable before you can show your face to him. He is there, and not only is he there, but he is suffering alongside you. He feels your pain, and he knows that this hurt that we feel in these moments don't get the last word. And that's why the gospel shines the brightest, I think, in the midst of loneliness. So let's jump into the text. First, the primary concern of this psalm is the relationship between the psalmist and God. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is very intimate relational language. God is the one who does the searching. He's the one who does the knowing. The psalmist realizes this and realizes that God is the ground from which everything else comes into existence. Every part of the psalmist's life is known by God. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. Have you ever seen someone from like across the room and you just know you 've known exactly what it is that they 're thinking like maybe you 're in some kind of like awkward situation at like a little get together at your house, somebody says something weird or like inappropriate or strange, and you just Look at your spouse and you know exactly what they're thinking, right? You're starting to think, like, can you believe they would say that or they would do that? Like, that's so weird. What a strange thing. One of my favorite TV shows was The Office because over time, you got to know some of the characters so well that somebody, usually Dwight, would be doing something so weird and the camera would just pan in somebody else's face, right? And you just knew exactly what that character was thinking. So we have this experience in a limited way, right? Like there's times when we we feel like we know exactly what somebody else is thinking. Man, it is hard to wrap our minds around the fact that God knows exactly who we are, what we think, what we're doing 100% of the time. And he loves us anyway. I don't always think really nice things in my head, right? Like I'm not always on my best behavior in my brain. And sometimes I like to pretend like these thoughts are just for me and they're just mine, like I can hide them, nobody else knows. But the truth is God knows exactly who we are and it doesn't scare him. I think that there's this fear within all of us, but especially with us who experience loneliness on a regular basis, that if somebody knew who we really were if somebody knew what it is that we really think and what we really believe, that they might leave, right? And so we try to hide or cover up what we think are the least presentable parts of us because we're afraid that if somebody saw them, they'd run away and they'd leave. Man, this has been the truth since the beginning of Scripture. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They covered up what they thought were the least presentable parts of themselves and they hid. But since the beginning, God has wanted nothing else than to love all of us, to love us completely. He knows and loves all of you, not just the parts that you think are the most presentable. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. I'm just so struck with how intimate all this language is. The psalmist does not try to doesn't try to describe God like he's some sort of abstraction or some sort of like scientific method or some thesis. God is relational here. He searches and knows us. He is active. The psalmist is the object of all these verbs. God is the one who's doing it. And you gotta pay attention to the word no here. It keeps coming up over and over again. The psalmist is really driving it home. God knows all of us, all of us. And it's not just this intellectual head knowledge, like God just wrote a Wikipedia entry for all of us and just knows the highlights of all of our lives. Like this is intimate heart knowledge, like how you might say, I know my child is good. Does your child mess up? Yeah, we all do, right? But you know deep down in a way that you can't quite explain that your child is good, that there's something beautiful about them. That's how God knows us. And I think, again, the temptation here, if you struggle with loneliness, is to kind of use knowledge as a way to keep people at bay in your life, to kind of use knowledge as a shield that you can hold out to keep people from getting too close. And I'll be totally transparent here. This is one of the things that I think I struggle with the most Like, I can use the things that I know, the things that I think I'm good at, to try to impress people and try to make them like me. But, man, like, sometimes that can be used as a way to keep people from getting too close to us. I want to keep things sometimes right on this friendly space, but the second the things get a little deep or a little serious, I can kind of want to change the subject. So don't use your knowledge or the things that you're good at, the things that you have as skills don't just use those as a shield to keep people out of your life. Use those as a bridge to build intimacy. The more you know somebody, the more you know about somebody, the more you should love them because that's how God is with us. The more he knows about us, the more he loves us. It says, you him me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. God is all around us. Everywhere we look, we should see the Lord in it. But I don't mean this in this like pantheistic way of like God is the trees or something like that. What I mean is everything reflects the glory of God. His hand is in it all. And he places his hands even on us. When you consider that, when you really consider that the God who made everything places his hand on us. I think our only reaction can be like the psalmist, that we are in awe and we're humbled, that this God who is so powerful and so knowing chooses to be with us and to be within us. And that feeling of awe, of wonder, of humility should guide us even in our darkest moments, even when things feel pretty bleak, It's in those moments that you feel isolated and alone, depressed, that you have to retrain your brain to see that everything is a reflection of the Lord. Even the painful moments point to something that far outweighs the suffering within it. And that gives us hope to keep moving forward no matter what, no matter how dark things might seem. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. There's nowhere that you've been that God won't be there, where God's not already there. And not only is he there, but he will guide you, and he'll hold you fast. Have you ever followed someone before who obviously has no idea where they're going? If you've ever been like riding in a car with someone and you can just kind of get this sense throughout the car ride, like, I don't think they have any idea where they're going. I am guilty of this. (laughs) When I drive, a lot of times I don't really care as much about the directions as maybe I should. Like, I just kind of want to have a general idea of where it is that I'm going. And if I make some mistakes along the way, like, that's totally fine. Like, I'm one of those guys, like, it's about the journey, right? (laughs) Like, and... Erica could not be more different. My wife, Erica, could not be more different in this regard. Like, she is never lost. She knows exactly where she is at all times, what direction we're headed. Like, I don't even know what Northwest is. Like, anyway, um, she knows the most efficient route to get to a place. And I just want to enjoy, you know, the journey. And that can be really frustrating to her sometimes because when I'm driving, like, she realizes, like, if I haven't told her where we're going, She's like, we could have got here like 10 minutes ago. And yet here we are late because you wouldn't put it in Google Maps. So does God always take us on the most efficient path to get to where we're going in life? Is God somebody who just likes to enjoy the journey? I don't know. Life isn't exactly like driving, right? Like we would have to define what all these metaphors here mean. But what I do know is that God will guide you to the places that you need to be when you need to be there and it's not always a straight line and it's not always what we expect but God is taking us somewhere and not only is he taking us somewhere but he's bringing something to us and that is so much greater than anything than we can imagine when you suffer from loneliness you feel like you're lost you feel like there's no purpose to it all you feel like you don't know where you're headed you feel like you're not going anywhere And yet it's in these moments that we have to realize that God is guiding us to the places that we need to be. And we have to trust in that, even when it feels like you have no direction where you're going. And not only will he take you there, but he'll hold you fast with his right hands when you get there. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you." One of the literal darkest places that I've ever been uh, was when I was on a field trip in elementary school, uh, this place called Mammoth Cave. Uh, we went to Mammoth Cave National Park, which was in Kentucky, and it's the world's longest known cave system with over 400 miles that have been explored. And I can remember as like a little third or fifth grader that at one point on the tour, the tour guide made us turn all our flashlights out, all the little handheld lantern things that we had, and we had to wait for several minutes to see if our eyes would start to adjust to the darkness. You know, you've been in dark places before, and after a while, your eyes start to adjust, and you can see things that you couldn't see before. But this was so dark that you never quite got that night vision that you get when your eyes start to see things in the dark. Like I would put my hand right up to my face and I knew it was there because obviously I'd put it there, but I couldn't see it. Like there was no part of me that could see the hands right in front of my face. And I think that's like a perfect metaphor for how loneliness, for how depression, for how anxiety can feel. It can feel like total darkness. No matter how hard you try, you just can't see the good things in your life and and you know they're there like you know that they're there in front of you but you just can't see them you know that people love you and you know that god is by your side but it just feels like you can't see it and so it's in these moments that we have to remember the words of the psalmist here where he says that even the darkness is not dark to god the night is as bright as day God knows the good things he has placed in our life. He knows the people that he has placed in our life to help us when all we can see is darkness. Now, does that mean that once we know that, that our eyes are just instantly going to light up? Like, No, probably not. But what it does mean is that even in the darkness, we can keep moving forward, trusting that God is guiding us, that he surrounded us with people who are helping us, and that we're going to be able to be okay. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so this morning, in the time that we've had, what I've hoped to convey is that the gospel shines brightest, even in the midst of loneliness. Does that take all the pain away? Unfortunately not. But what it does mean is that our sufferings are not meaningless. They are produced something within us. They are taking us somewhere, and that's good news. So if you're like the 46% of Americans who say they sometimes or always feel alone, here's, I think, some practical steps for you moving forward. And I say this with humility, not as someone who claims to be an expert on mental health, but as someone who would place themselves in that category. This sermon is just as much for me as it is for anybody else. And so step one, realize that we live in this hurricane of messages that tells us that if we just bought this thing, if we just had this object, if we just looked a certain way, if we were just funny enough or successful enough, if we had this amount of money or whatever, then we would be happy. It's these conditional statements. If you have this, then you would be happy. Don't believe that garbage. Like that's just advertising that's trying to convince you that who you are is already not enough. You are enough, and God made you, and he loves you. Step two, maybe you might need to do some inventory on the habits that you have that are continuing this sense of being isolated and alone. When you feel sad, do you just go buy things? That might make you feel better for a minute, but it's very fleeting. Like when you feel alone, do you just binge shows on Netflix or TV? It might distract you for a little while, but once again, it's, it's fleeting. We can't just address the symptoms. We have to get to the source. Human beings are made for connection. We're made to be part of a tribe. We're made to be seen and to be known. To get to the root of this stuff, we have to be vulnerable with other people. We have to open ourselves up with no guarantee that things are going to go the way that we want them to. And third, I want you to ask yourself this question. How could you build more of what makes you happy into your life. Not just fleeting happiness like going shopping or watching Netflix or whatever, but the stuff that like Marie Kondo style sparks joy in your life, right? Like a homemade dinner with your spouse, a family vacation, serving other people in your community, having quiet time with God to notice how active he is in your life. Those are the things that are hard to define, but they give you lasting joy, So how can you build more of that into your life and take away some of the other things that are distracting you? And finally, know that God is with you, not just when you feel like you're at your best, when you feel most presentable. No, even in the most painful, even in the darkest times, God is there and the darkness is as light to him. He's there guiding you, upholding you with his right hand. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion uh, here at the tables, here on the side. And uh, parents, um, the kids are about to come in here in a minute. And if you could pick them up over on the side of the wall, and then you guys can take communion together as a family, um, that would be uh, very special. But here's my challenge for you right now. If you see someone taking communion all alone, go be with them. If someone is lonely at the Lord's table, then we're doing something wrong. Like this is the last place where anyone should feel alone. This is the time that we remember that Jesus died, but he was also raised in order to usher in this radical new way of life, a way of life that welcomes everyone, no matter who they are or what they've been through. It's in this moment at the table that we are united together As the body of Christ. So if you see someone who's just trying to be a hand or a foot all by themselves, let them know that they're part of the body of Christ. Like, take communion with them. In the battle against loneliness, it's so easy to begin to believe that you're the only one who's experiencing this, that you're the only one who feels this way, that no one else feels the way that you feel. And it's in these moments that I think one of the main jobs of the church is to remind us that we are all in this together, that we are all part of the body of Christ. That's what the church is for, and I think that is the cure for loneliness. Let's pray, and then we'll go and take communion together. God, we just thank you so much for today. And God, we thank you for this morning and for this time that we've had to explore um, this really, really important topic in our culture right now of loneliness. And, God, I just pray more than anything that you would help us see that we are your body and that we are um, united together, that we serve a common purpose. And, God, that you are right here in our midst, that your spirit dwells within us together. And so, God, I just pray that as we take communion, that we will remember your son Jesus, that we'll remember the sacrifice that he made, but God, that we'll remember that he was raised that he, his resurrection offers us something totally new in our life, a way of life that says that the days of loneliness are numbered, that the days of depression and anxiety will eventually end. And, God, that the problems that we face, that we can overcome them together as your church body. And so, God, God we pray this um, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the East Side Church of Christ sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.